Thanks for joining us here at Thrive Church. We're a church passionate about moving people towards Jesus. For more information, go to our website, www.thrivechurch.co.za. Hello, everybody. How's 10 o'clock? All awake? Yes. Uh, all the ladies who are here Friday night, give me a quick shout. There we are. There was a lot of talk about bras. Bras and Jesus is what we spoke about. Luckily, just a touch more Jesus than bras, but still a lot of bras. I learned a lot about bras on, on uh, Friday night, so it was excellent. All the men were like, this is the last woman's event. We're going to sit in the auditorium. We're going to serve and then sit in the mother's room. <laughs> and uh, the weather's changed. You know, this weather reminds me, you know, like winter, it left, and then it came back today. Almost like a woman with a fight. And just one more thing. I'm not finished with you yet. All the men are just looking straight ahead like, no. If you're here this morning and you've got small kids with you um, in the service, just wanted to let you know we've got a great Kids Zone Children's Church. And uh, your kids will be so, so happy there. I know this because I put mine there with great relief every Sunday morning. Um, but they will love it there. And, you know, sometimes our, our kids give us a, a bit of a hard time about going into new environments. But um, uh, Caleb does this to me every year when he starts the new school year. For the first few weeks, he turns on the waterworks when I leave him with his new teacher. He's very dramatic. Uh, but I, I then walk out of the class, and 10 seconds later, he's fine. I go and I check back and he's jawling and he's playing with his friends. And I know some parents are like, I'm not sure if my kids will be okay at Kids Zone. I, I promise you they will turn your back. You won't even get into the auditorium. They will already be jawling. So um, just a note, particularly for the second service where we've got lots of young families, I want to encourage you just to get here for a few minutes earlier and uh, register them in. And if anything goes wrong, we will put your name or their names on the screen uh, with their number. We'll call you out and let you know that uh, you need they need you or they need your help. So just so you feel comfortable about that. And um, just wanted to also encourage you, uh, the Serve the City group, this is a group of men who just have decided that they uh, want to help fix up stuff and do cool stuff and go around and just, they're handy with their hands. They went to Worcester Secondary School last week, Saturday, went to go and fix up some stuff there. That's one of the s schools that we serve in the Reicher Park community. And as a consequence of that, the maintenance staff at the school have decided they're going to come through on Saturdays as well and help them and work with them. They've decided to raise their game as well. And I think that's awesome, isn't it? I think that's so encouraging because when we, when we go somewhere as followers of Jesus, we should change that atmosphere. And when you bring excellence to a place, guess what it does? It improves the standard. So we should be that. We should be those catalysts that every area, university, school, work environment, social clubs, we should be bringing excellence. We should be bringing Christ with us. It should change that atmosphere. It should make it more righteous. It should make it more godly. It should make it more loving. It should make it more kind. It should make it more excellent. Hey. Awesome. Is everybody good? Ready to go? Cool. Let's pray. Who here needs God to touch their heart? If you do, put your hand on your heart. Who here needs prayer about the exchange rate at the moment? <laughs> Father, we ask that you would speak to us this morning. We pray that your word would do all that you set it out to accomplish. I pray that I would be able to articulate it clearly. I pray that we would receive it clearly, that every heart and life here would 
receive just that which is needed for them. We pray this in your name. Everybody in 10 o'clock, who decided they would respond well, said, there we are. I read this incredible story the other day that on the 21st of August, 1835, the New York Sun published a series of articles about this, this, the discovery of life on the moon. This is in 1835, guys. They were attributed to a well-known astronomer called Sir John Herschel. The article reported that he had made incredible discoveries using this new hydro-oxygen magnifier method. And it went on to describe in incredible scientific detail how all of these discoveries were made. Bizarre life forms inhabited the moon, the article said. Apparently, this guy discovered nine species of mammals and five of a brand new species called ovipara. Amongst the mammals, they discovered a different kind of reindeer, different elk, different types of moose, a horned bear, and a biped beaver. The biped beaver, apparently, looks like our beavers, just doesn't have a tail, and apparently it stands on its back legs and carries its young. Incredible, 1835. One week later, on the 27th of August, the New York Sun published another story confirming that that previous story was nothing but a fake hoax, a hoax, a fake news, and everybody was up in arms. Quick note to President Trump, fake news is not a new thing. But we hate fake stuff, don't we? Don't you hate fake stuff? You buy something, you think it's a Rolex, and you look closely at the R, and it's actually a Polex. <laughs> or you buy a pair of shoes, and you think they say Nike, and actually they say Mike on the side. Ever been there? Been to the flea market, bought something, you thought it was the real deal. We hate fake, don't we? We feel ripped off. We feel done in. We feel like cheap. I remember a few years ago, I went on a Contiki tour. We went all around Europe. We got to Italy. We got to Florence. Florence is the big leather-making part of Italy. They said, we're going to teach you how to know what's fake leather and what's genuine leather. You want to know? I'm going to help all the ladies here. You're going to find out how you, you can check if that handbag that your husband bought you is real or fake. You just, you put some water on it. Real leather will eventually absorb some of that water. Some of the drops of water will actually absorb into the leather because it's porous. The fake stuff is gonna, the water will just sit because water doesn't absorb into plastic, right? So check it out. Some of you are gonna go do that with your shoes. Even before you leave, you're gonna go to the tap outside. And <laughs> <laughs> but we crave authentic things. Hey, we love authentic things. We hate fake. We want the real deal, don't we? The definition of authentic is of undisputed origin, not a copy, genuine. We love real lemonade, authentic, made with real lemons, you know. We love real books. Who here loves the smell of paper, like a real, like a proper page, you know. 10 o'clock aren't great readers, it seems. <laughs> real wood, like you, wait till you see our cafe furniture. Like beautiful handcrafted tables, wrought iron, nice and heavy. You couldn't steal it if you tried. <laughs> we love real food, don't we? Slow cooked, real home styled, slow cooked. You know, there's a whole slow cooked thing going on at the moment. There's a restaurant called Craft in Park, Parkhurst, 6th Avenue. You could get there for lunch if I preach on time. So if you respond well, I'll preach on time. You can called craft. Why? Because food is their craft. 
so the lasagna it's home cooked it's long baked in a, in a proper oven you know we could have chosen to have an electric oven for our pizza why would we do that we want a stone tasting pizza you know proper we love authentic things don't we have you ever asked yourself what is an authentic genuine follower of Christ look like how do they speak how do they act what gets them fired up what gets them upset what do they value and why in my humble opinion of all the books in the Bible James in the New Testament is the book that most clearly I think articulates and shows us what an authentic follower of Jesus looks like gives us the clearest picture of an authentic follower of Jesus, the book of James. This book of James was written by a guy called? You suck that side, I'm going this side. It was written by a guy called? He was the half-brother of Jesus, right? And he was not a Christ follower when Jesus was on the earth. When Jesus was in his earthly ministry, prior to his death and resurrection, James was not interested It was only after Jesus' resurrection that James became a follower of Jesus when he became convinced that his brother was actually the Messiah. James wrote this book, scholars suggest between 48 and 52 AD, he wrote it to a particular audience. He wrote it to Jewish Christians. These are Jews that had converted to Christianity and, and they were scattered all over the then known world. So whereas Paul wrote very specifically to specific churches. He wrote to the Romans, he wrote to the Ephesians, he wrote to the Corinthians. James writes to all the new Christians across the then known world who had been Jews and had now converted to Christianity. And so his principles are very transferable. It's not like he's addressing a particular issue in a church. He's saying, this is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. It's a great book. Warning, disclaimer, As we enter this next few weeks where we're going to be taking a journey through James, James gives it to you straight. So if you like having your ears tickled, James won't do that. He will challenge you. He will upset you a little bit, but he will convict you and he will make you a genuine follower of Jesus if you let his work, if you let his words inspired by the Holy Spirit sink into you and if you're open to the work of God in your life. Is that okay? So, when you get upset this morning, it's not me. Although I will take great glee in transferring those words. We're ready. Ready to go. James chapter 1, and we're going to camp and take a journey through James chapter 1 this morning. This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm writing to the 12 tribes, you see, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. So he goes, hi. First thing he says is, hi, you're about to have your world rocked. Goes, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles, everybody say when, when. not if, hey. when, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. I'm like, James, can we just stop here? I don't want to read your letter because you start so encouraging. First thing you tell us is be happy because your life is hard. Like, James, you don't know my life. I know you had the perfect sibling. Jesus grew up in your house. He was the perfect brother. Have you seen my house? So dysfunctional. I know you grew up like that, not me. I don't want to read your stupid letter if that's how you start. He's like, just chill out. Hang in there. You speak too quickly, but we'll get to that later. Don't worry. He goes, 
So, when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For your endurance is when it's fully developed, you'll be perfect, complete, needing nothing. Okay, so here's the equation. Testing of our faith equals endurance. Endurance then gets a chance to grow. When endurance grows, we become perfect and complete, lacking nothing in our faith. Therefore, hang with me, if you want to be perfect and complete, lacking nothing in your faith, pray instead for trials. But God, I've been praying that you'd take away the trial. I've been praying that you'd solve my problem, not give me more. James, again, I'm closing your stupid book. It seems that perhaps we pray for the wrong things. I thought in order to be perfect, complete, lacking nothing, I should pray for God to answer that prayer. Whereas James is actually saying, hang me with me, don't stress. When trials come your way, consider it nothing other than an opportunity for your faith to become perfect and complete. Crazy. I thought about this thing of endurance. You know, um, one of the guys that we run with every now and then, he did the Comrades Marathon this, this year. That's why we run with him every now and then, because <laughs> he does the Comrades. <laughs> so, he was telling us about the marathons that you do, as you get progressively closer to the comrades, you're doing more and more kilometers and you're doing tougher and tougher races. You're not doing the 10Ks anymore, you're doing like the 50Ks. He says there's moments in that first 50Ks that, you've, that you're attempting when your whole body is screaming in agony. Your whole body is saying, somebody stop the pain. Somebody take it away. Somebody take the, the blister and just or cut off my leg or do something. But of course, if you do that, your endurance never has a chance to grow. And so you never do the comrades. Whereas if you allow your endurance to grow, eventually you get to the place where you can run the comrades marathon. So too in life, we're running this race called life. It gets hard and we pray, God, take away the trial, take away the hardship. Just somebody fix the blister, right? Whereas in fact, James comes at it and he says, pray for more endurance. Because when you do, you'll be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Perhaps then I should change my prayers. On a side note, I don't know why anyone would want to run the Comrades Marathon. I think it's a clear sign of craziness. And a distinct lack of wisdom. But talking about wisdom, <laughs> James goes on in verse 5 and he says, Hey, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God. And guess what, guys? He'll give it to you. He won't rebuke you for asking. We've just concluded our series on wisdom. So I'm not going to camp at this verse other than to say, I think this would be a great verse for each and every one of us to memorize. So that when we're in a pickle and in a tough spot and in a tight thing where we've got decisions to make, we could say, James 1.5 says that if you need wisdom, ask our generous God. He'll give it to you. He won't rebuke you for asking. And we could call upon that word when we need it. But James goes on and he says, hey, listen, when you ask, be sure that your faith is in God alone. 
Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that's blown and tossed about by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they're unstable in everything that they do. James says, so when we approach God, guys, let's approach Him with a clear, clear conscience, a clear and complete confidence in who it is that we approach. Come with the utmost confidence. Come with the utmost assurance. We come not because of our faith and not because of who we are. We come because of who He is. I was thinking about this with Caleb the other day, my little guy. He's five. He comes to me, or he'll come to Pastor Cain, and he'll say, I'm hungry. And he just stands there and waits for the response that he knows is going to come. Why? Because he knows I'm going to sort his problem out for him. He doesn't come there and go, well, mom and dad, I'm not particularly eloquent. I don't really know how to ask you this. I'm not sure even if I should be asking you this. I'm not sure if you'd be able to solve this problem or not. I'm, I'm not sure, are you the source of it or... He just comes and says, I'm hungry. And we meet his need. James says, that's how you should come to God. And he'll meet your need. Because waves, they get tossed about by currents and wind. I was thinking about a wave. Anytime a wind comes up, the wave changes. Every time a current changes, the wave changes direction. Are you with me? Waves are susceptible to the currents and the winds of life. James is saying, listen, unless you come to God like Caleb comes to me, the winds and the, way, the, winds and the currents are always going to blow you in different directions. You've got to know who you're coming to. You've got to know why you're coming to him, because he's your father. You're not coming because you're eloquent or because you're faithful or, be, or anything that you, you are. You're coming because of who he is. Does that make sense this morning? Anybody being helped? Your lunch could be earlier. The better you respond. And so he says, for those of us in need, James goes on in verse nine, he says, those of us in need, guess what, there's good news. He says, believers who are poor have something to boast about. Why? Because God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. Watch, they will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises, the grass withers, the little flower droops and falls and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. Last night, as a family, we went to a matric farewell. The matric, at this school, it seems, the deal at matric farewells is that all the family can get together and watch like the kids arriving for the farewell, you know? So we did that. Now, at this school, it seems that, I don't know if this is a thing. It wasn't in my day. I rode my bike to my matric farewell. <laughs> But everybody arrives in like these rocking cars. Like, I'm not talking BMW 3 Series, right? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm talking Bentleys. Give me a wave if you're a Bentley fan. Rolls Royces. Lambos. Mustang Sallys. Lamborghinis, Ferraris. If you're poor, you pull in in a Porsche. (laughs) 
and I watched this. So some of the cars, like the parents are driving, and it's like some of these, some of these men. They like you can check they're reliving their youth. They got the got the windows down and. And the music's pumping. One guy pulls in in a big truck and all the windows are down and he's got the sound pumping. And, he, and he's like, get out the car like this. And the one gets out. <laughs> and he poses his first photo. He's got his sunnies on. It's like six o'clock. It's dark. He's got his sunnies. <laughs> one car comes in and Rihanna's playing. It's like, I am titanium. Like, So I looked at these, I looked at the guys, I had these cars, like some of, some of the swag, you know, that, yeah, and I thought to myself, I want, what arrogance wealth can produce? You know, our country uh, officially now has the highest disparity of wealth in the world. On the face of the planet, there isn't a place, there isn't a more unequal society than our country. The gap between rich and poor Highest in the world, us. What James is saying is that unlike the parking lot of the school, unlike our country, one day all will be equal at the foot of the cross. So if you're poor, take heart because your poverty is temporary. If you're rich, if you're rich, if you're rich, don't be arrogant because your wealth is temporary. So don't misuse it. Make sure you use it to build the kingdom. Make sure you use it to build lives. Don't misuse it. Don't power up because of it. Don't think you're better than anybody else. Use your wealth. Build your business as big and strong as you can. And then use your money to do cool stuff in life. He goes on in verse 12. He says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Can I have my rope, please, peeps? Thank you so much. You're gonna come on up and do your thing. James is following a theme here in these two verses that I've just been with, with us on. He's saying when it comes to trials, tests, temptations, Wealth, these things. He says, I want you to realize that there's a life on earth and there's an eternal life. There's life here on earth and then there's a crown of life that each one of us are aiming for. There's there's temporary and there's eternity. So watch this. You see this end of the rope is painted red. This is life on earth. The rest is eternity. So when you go through a trial, remember, here you are. But one day, you'll be with him for eternity. One day, there'll be a crown of life. One day, that trial, you won't even remember it in the echoes of eternity. If you're wealthy, you're wealthy here. If you're poor, you're poor here. If you're tempted, you're tempted here. If you're tested, you're tested here. In the bigger scheme of things then, remember, this life is not all there is. This life is not all there is. Thanks, guys. 
James is really encouraging us to have perspective with regards to our trials, our tests, our temptations, our difficulties. It's just a, it's just a drop in the ocean of eternity. Be encouraged. Take heart. And while we're on the concept of challenges, tests, temptations, James goes on and he says, hey guys, remember, God is not behind any of those temptations that you feel. Verse 13, remember when you're being tempted, do not say God's tempting me. God's never tempted to do wrong, he says. And he never tempts anyone else, just to be clear. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. He says, temptation comes straight from our desires. He, he says, it's almost like a fish, you know, like a, a fish with, with a hook and bait on it. The fish sees the hook. It sees the bait. It looks yummy, takes a bite, enticed and ensnared by the hook. Next thing you know, the, the fish gets ripped out of its environment and it gives and it dies. Why does it die? Because it gets enticed and pulled out. So the progression that James is sketching for us here is this. Desire gives birth to temptation. Temptation gives birth to sin. Sin gives birth to death. Therefore, if you want to deal with your temptation, you can't try harder. You can't pray harder. You've got to go back to the desire that it's meeting. For example, if you're addicted or you're battling, tempted with drugs and alcohol, it's probably fueling a desire. Maybe it's a desire to escape. If you're tempted with food, that temptation is accommodating for a desire. Maybe the desire is for comfort. Maybe you eat because you need comfort. If you're tempted, if you've got a sexual addiction, maybe that's covering for a desire for love. If you're taking sleeping tablets or addicted to sleeping tablets, maybe that's covering for, accommodating for, a desire for peace. Are you with me? Behind every temptation, church, is a desire. You can't deal with a temptation, you've got to deal with a desire. Are you with me now this morning? Is this helping anybody? So let's be clear, James says, about what comes from where. Temptation, not from God. Desire, from yourself. And he goes, but let me tell you what does come from God. So he says, so don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever's good and whatever's perfect is a gift who does come from God who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give us birth by giving us his true word. James says, so while the desire might come from within us, and that gives birth to temptation, which gives birth to sin, which gives birth to death, let me remind you that every good and perfect thing in your life and my life comes from him. Imagine for a moment, church, imagine starting our day with just a gratitude list. Five minutes of things we're grateful for. 
five minutes of, God, I just want to, I want to acknowledge this morning, before I go any further, that every good and perfect gift in my life is from you. All of us would find five. Maybe some of you are like, hmm, I'd get to three and then be struggling. <laughs> but we would. We've been doing this recently, Pastor Ken and I. It's been so good. It's been so life-giving. Your grumble can turn to gratitude if you just do that. And so James goes on to say, I understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, in verse 19. We must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your soul. Oh man, we don't live in a listening world, do we? We live in a speaking world. We live in a world of opinion. Every guy and his dog has a blog and a vlog and a... Every guy, just because he's got a beard and a cap on sideways doesn't mean he's got anything to say. Are you with me? So hey, we like, just had an awesome lunch. Hashtag awesome lunch. <laughs> and then every five minutes tracking the likes. Who liked it? Who liked it? We, we live in a speaking world. Everybody wants to tell everybody what they've been doing, everything, all the time. Weird, eh? Whereas James is saying, it's amazing. It's amazing. God gave us two ears and one mouth. I wonder biologically if there's a clue in that, that we should listen twice as much as we speak. Now, ladies, I know this will be hard for you. All the men are just, check the chicks, they're getting cross with me, like, Ugh. All right. For us men, it's anger that's the problem. This isn't get slow to anger. We like to laugh at ourselves. But actually, he says, so, speak slowly. Speak little. Listen lots. I wonder, maybe, I wonder, just, I'm wondering if there's a link between how little we speak and how little we get angry or how much we speak and how much we get angry. I think sometimes all of our speaking makes us angry. Somebody has a problem, they take to Twitter. Da -da -da -da. Give 10 tweets in a row. Da -da 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 -da. I read that, then I get angry. You know? Then I have to go read somebody who's telling the truth to try and get unangry. Maybe we should just speak less. Listen more. And maybe our anger will subside. Imagine our friendships. Imagine our marriages. Imagine our family dynamics. If we all decided... If we all decided, I'm going to speak half as much as I'm going to listen. 
Speaking of listening, James goes, verse 22. Don't just listen to God's word. He says, you must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and then don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and then forget what you look like. In other words, he says, when you're like that, when you hear the word only, but you don't do it, it's like you never build any wisdom in your life. It's like you never change. It's like you never take anything in. It's like you never assimilate anything. It's like you never, ever get it. If you want to get it, start doing God's word. Put it into practice. So James is giving us like a little hierarchy of useful things with which to fill our time. He goes, so right on the bottom rung, least useful thing to do is speak. Yeah. Ho up. Or ho yo beck. Or I don't know. <laughs> so that's the first one. Then he goes, so not very useful to speak. Turn to your wife and just tell her, it's not very useful to you to speak. See, the men won't do it. Huh? They won't. They're too scared. They're scared of the, scared of the woman. He says, that's not useful. More useful, listening. Most useful, doing what you listened to. Make sense? Imagine. And watch what it says here. Verse 25. God will bless you for doing it. Oh, we all want God to bless us. Hey, just in the last week, no show of hands, just a hypothetical question. Who here has prayed, God, would you please bless X, Y, and Z? God is like, if you would just do what's in my word, it would be blessed automatically. Oh, God, bless my wife, turn her heart back towards me. Well, just love her. You don't have to pray for your wife to love you. Love her, she'll love you, the Bible says. Give your life up for her, guess what? She'll submit to you. You with me? Oh God, fix my finances. He's like, cut up your credit cards. Do what God's word says and you'll build wisdom into your life and it will be blessed. Is everybody tracking with me? I feel like... All the women are stuck on the speaking list. Then. <laughs> and speaking of important things to do, James concludes this section by reminding us about controlling the tongue. He says, watch it, guys. He says, if you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself. He ramps it up here in the next two verses. Okay, so just strap yourself in. And your religion is, he's saying, if you can't control your tongue, it doesn't matter what else you do. I saw this picture of one of these Iraqi cities that had been destroyed by ISIS. Check that out. Now, the fighter that you see there would say, yeah, but we're building an Islamic caliphate, a kingdom. 50 kilometers down the road, we're rebuilding in the, in the proper Islamic style. I'd say to him, I don't care what you're doing in the name of religion, because you've just torn down those lives. I don't care what you're building for your faith, because you've just wrecked those lives. What about the lives that you've torn down? 
I'm not interested in what you're building if you're tearing down. I think God is saying to us through James, I don't care what you build for your faith. I don't care what you do in your faith. If you can't control your tongue, it's worthless. It's an ash heap. It's a heap of ash. If, if, if I can't control what I say with this little tongue, our tongues are dangerous, hey? Our tongues have got spikes on them. Our tongues can bring death if we're not careful. I think that's why he's so severe about it, he's saying, because words are so easy to say. It's so easy to destroy with words. I think James is saying, if I can't trust you with something as easy to use as a tongue, how on earth could God value anything you build with anything more difficult? Does that make sense? So James wraps up and he tells us, well, your religion's worth it, worthless, if you can't control your tongue. But let me tell you what is worthwhile. Verse 27 of James. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Any religion, any faith you have, I have. If I can't control my tongue, worthless. What's worthwhile, he says, is caring for orphans and widows. Who are they? They're the vulnerable. Who's vulnerable in our world? It's the elderly, isn't it? That's why we go to old age homes when we serve the city. Children, orphans, prisoners in our society. Listen, if you go to prison, you're vulnerable. The poor, our domestic helpers. You know, we, we go on holiday. We say to our domestic helpers, hey, don't, don't worry to come in for the next two weeks. I'm, I'm away on holiday. Have you ever wondered, if you pay them by the day, have you ever wondered what that does to their earnings? Unless you pay them out of, you know, minimum wage is not a target. Minimum wage is something to, to avoid. And pay better than that with me we're not we're not like we're not minimum wage people not not Christians we know we, we don't do minimum wage yeah but I can't afford it otherwise well then then you can't afford it because we don't do slave labor so what must we do Here's some meaningful actions for us to take from James as we work through today. Remember, James said you should be doers of the word, not just hearers. So around about now, everybody should be scratching around for something to take a note of so that you can do this. Because otherwise, James just says we're fools. Turn to the person next to you and say, don't be a fool. Now turn to the other person that you were too scared to turn to the first time and say, no, don't be a fool. Some resolutions, some actions, some doers, right? Today, I resolve to what? To pray for my endurance to grow. Number two, I resolve to memorize James chapter one, verse five. If I need wisdom, I can ask my generous God and he'll give it to me and he'll not rebuke me for asking. Number three, I resolve to come to God in full confidence. 
not swayed by a wave of every circumstance. I come assured that he's my father and he will meet my need. And before I resolve to remember the rope, my life is the little edge of the rope and eternity is everything else. Number five, even the ladies, okay? I resolve to speak half as much as I listen. Number six, I resolve to ask God how I can serve the vulnerable in my life. Let's pray. James gives us such a clear picture of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This message was recorded live at Thrive Church. We hope that it inspired you to move towards Jesus.